So a somber English man, he was seated on a train between two ladies arguing about the window. One claimed that she would die of heat stroke if it stayed closed, and the other said she would expire of pneumonia if it was opened. So the ladies called the conductor, who after a few minutes threw up his hands and walked away from the tensity of the conflict. And finally, the annoyed gentleman sitting there, he spoke up and said, first open the window, and that'll kill the one, and then close it, and that'll kill the other one, and then we're going to have peace. And so it was a lose-lose proposition. So everybody has conflict. Anybody in here ever ran into conflict in your relationships? Yeah, yeah, most of us, all of us. It's inevitable in every area of life, whether it's negotiations at work or something uh, with a coworker there. Maybe in your own home, differences with your teenagers. It could be conflict with your spouse. Sometimes it's over salary negotiations on the job. We all have forms of conflict, and this, uh, even this marriage material I use, Saving Your Marriage Before It Starts, Les and Leslie Parrott, they tracked couples from the 80s into the late 90s, and they said we can tell about 90 to 95% who's going to be successful in their marriage on how they resolve conflict. And so it's important for you and me in our relationships that we learn to sort out our differences. We learn to sort out our confrontation styles. We, we learn to sort out you know, where our triggers are. And so in just a few minutes on a Sunday morning in, in my last session here, it's going to be di- difficult to cover a lot of it, but some of it, especially what Jesus had to say about conflict, I wanted to share this morning as part of laying that foundation because he had a lot to say about relationships, the importance of relationships in God's kingdom. Uh, relationships make up God's kingdom. It's not buildings. It's just not uh, ecclesiastical hierarchies. It's not books and tapes and, and TV and all that. that. That supports ministry, but the kingdom of heaven is relationships. And those relationships will go on for eternity. And so he gave us principles on how to make those relationships better as we're here on earth. And I want to talk a little about that this morning. Well, Proverbs 19.11, it says, The discretion of man makes him slow to anger, and his glory is to overlook a transgression. Some translations say it's the glory of a person to, to learn how to just bypass offense, not let offense build up. And so in your life and my life, some of us are a little bit more prone to offense. Maybe it's because of how we grew up. There was abuse around the home or criticism around the home or negativity around the home. And so we grew up with this mindset that we're criticized and so we can freely criticize other people or we're insecure because we weren't raised around healthy boundaries and, and health at home. And so when, when criticism comes our way, we're easily offended. Other people, not so much. Some people can go through life and when they're offended by a clerk at the store, you can say, I wonder why she's having such a bad day. Or you, you can say, I, 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 must, I guess she must have uh, had some conflict that just impacted her that way. That's why she's treating me this way. Instead of taking it personal, we're able to overlook transgressions. And some of us are just better at able to say, what, what am I going to pick up as an offense? What really doesn't matter much to me? You know, somebody said, uh, what's the saying about Let, don't sweat the small stuff and everything is small stuff? And and so some of us are better living that way by not letting things overwhelm us. But to some, you know, drama follows us because of our inability maybe to resolve our own conflict and how we take on offenses. And so, you know, we're going to look at a little about those things this morning. They build up. 
Some of us, they build up, and then when we trigger, it doesn't go well for people. It doesn't go well for us. It doesn't go well in our families. It doesn't go well in work relationships because we allow ourselves to, to trigger easily and we can just go off. And because we can't resolve conflict in a healthy manner, some things just fester and things in our life don't get resolved. That peace that God promises, Jesus said, it's a peace that passes understanding. That peace never gets rooted and settled. And so we just live our lives kind of in that conflicted state. And I know for Jan and me, when we first got married, I, I was in the Bay Area for a year. We were at San Diego State. I was going to take one semester off. I was working on my geology degree. My father had passed away. I'd run out of money. I thought, I'm going to take a semester off. I looked at the school schedule. I said, well, I can come back, finish my classes, and we'll be done. And so Jan and I were dating. We're talking about marriage. We're pretty committed to marriage. But I said, I'm going to take a semester off. I'm going to go seek the Lord, raise some funds, come back and finish at school. And got up to the Bay Area, and God just blessed. I got a job. They were paying me to go to school. They were going to promote me when I got done. I was working for Ohio Petroleum. And so we had a long-distance relationship for the last year. And things went pretty good, and, but th there was not a lot to conflict over. We'd see each other maybe once a month, and so a year goes by, we get married. We moved to the Bay Area, and we, we'd only been married a few weeks. We're in our apartment, and she was out looking for work and getting organized and that, and, but she, she wasn't really getting a job. And so me, I'm thinking, you know, kind, sweet me, I wouldn't get mad at my wife, but anyway, th th this idea in my mind, well, let, let's get this marriage rolling. We want to buy a car. Essentially, I'm starting to think, you need to get a job. And I wasn't really saying it that bluntly, but we sat down to talk about it, and I started laying it out, and all of a sudden, she just breaks down crying, just weeping and crying. And I thought, what did I do? What, what did I say? What did I marry? I mean, for, for a moment, I'd never seen her break down crying like that. It just like hit me, like, what's up? And then I, I had to figure out, we, we, we need to talk through conflict. We've been stuffing things. Because we said, even praying and before we're married, it strife's an enemy of our house. We're not going to argue. We're not going to fight. But because we didn't even talk through things, she was just stuffing things that when we finally blew, if we could put a female version of that up there, it was, was kind of like that. It, it, it just erupted. And so we had to figure out from early on, from the first few months of our marriage, how are we going to talk through conflict? How are we going to work on these things? So stuff's not building up. Some stuff's not going unsaid. So we're not sweeping things under the sofa and, and not resolving it. And it's, and it's taken work, and it still does. It still takes work after 30-some years, 36 years of being married on how to keep things open. I know nobody in here is impacted that way. I'm just sharing my laundry this morning. So let, let's just talk about what Jesus said. Let's just start with the foundation, what Jesus said concerning conflict. If you have your Bibles, you want to follow along. We're in Matthew 5.23, but we'll do it on the family Bible here. He says this, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. And first be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you're on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, by no means get out there till you have paid the last penny. Like, this is, this is wow. This is Jesus talking relationship stuff. And so this is how it's working. He's saying, you, you and me, 
you know, might be just part of a certain tribe in a certain city, and so our habit's to go to the local synagogue on a regular basis. So we're showing up on Sabbath day. Or if you lived in Jerusalem, you're, you're going to the temple, and there was all kinds of sacrifices you would be making. There's first fruits offerings that would come when your harvest first came in. You would take that, you'd bring it to offer at the temple. There's transgression offerings. Which if I was making mistakes or, or sinning, I would have a transgression offering. And so sometimes in our minds, it might be just like this. Casually, you're saying, you wouldn't be looking at a watch. You'd be looking at your sundial and say, I'm meeting the buddies for lunch. So I'm just going to drop my offering off at the temple and I'll come in and I'll just spend a minute before God. And, and here's the first fruits of what you bless me with, God. So thanks for the new harvest. I, I just want to give that to you. So God, thank you for just taking care of my family again. And I, I just know these laws you put in place about tithing. I just want to honor that law. So, so here, here, here's my finances. Here's my money. And, and thank you, God. And Jesus is saying, time out. That, that's not how it's going to work. That's not the most important thing to me. That, that's not the focus. Certainly, I'm blessing you. Certainly, I'm involved in your life. Certainly, there's a transgression offering. So when you sin, one way to just appease your guilt is, is to bring me an offering. Sometimes it was you know, sacrifices, blood sacrifices of doves and those things. Or sometimes that was exchanged and it went later on for finances. And so people in their mind, I want to get this guilt off me. I want to just come and present my offering. And Jesus said, that, that's not how it's supposed to work. It's just not a simple action. It's, it's what's going on in your heart, that there's, there's something else working in your heart. And so he gave him principles right here. He, he gave him insight, what, what is the priorities in the kingdom. So it's not so much about the giving. It's not just so much about the gift. It's about what's going on inside. Amen? So let's just unpack this for a minute. Heavenly mandate, heavenly mandate. So he said, before you come and worship, make this thing right with your brother. Another, get things right with others is a huge part of worship. Issues in our heart affects everything, especially our connection with God. And so sometimes, you know, as pastor, there's worships going on and things are happening. And some people you just see fully connected and you see just connecting with God and loving God and I look around and others, maybe not so much, and sometimes I wonder, well, does it have anything to do with this passage? Because it's almost like God saying, I, I, I don't even want your worship. I can't even connect with you like this because you're, you're trying to do this, but it's broken like this. And so you got to get these things right in order for you to connect with me. And so sometimes I think that even in a, a worship service, the atmosphere that's impacted, because our relationships are broken with each other. And it's hindering our connection with him. So imagine if we just took this serious as a church, two things would happen. Either church would be very, very small on Sundays, or we would be so on fire, so alive, because we're connected, we've got things right, our hearts are good before each other. We're, we're loving God, but we're loving each other. We got that thing so right that it explodes when we come in to worship God, because everything's good. There's a connection, there's a unity, there's a power, because we're united in love. So Jesus is saying the offering, yeah, th that's good, but the real offering is an offering of a right heart with each other. We've got to learn how to make things right with each other and not carry that stuff. And, and the kingdom of God, like I said, is, is about uh, relationships, and so those things are huge to Jesus. Amen? Number two, this is what he said. He said, you go. Say go. So he, he said, 
when you discover this, that you got an ought with somebody, you go. You go. Most of us say it's not just an old car that was made. You guys remember the Yugos. That's not it. He, he's saying, no, you take action. You do it. And most often we're in worship and say, man, I, I wish that guy would say you're sorry to me. I wish that guy would come and apologize. I wish that guy would really see what he did to me. You know, Jesus said, you go. You go to him first. And when you go and how you go has got everything to do with how it's going to be resolved. So this whole thing is in context of worship, right? And so when we're in worship and we're before the Lord, do you ever ask him, God, like we talked about surrendering today, do you ever ask him in our worship time, Lord, is there issues that I can just give you this morning or things, God, that you want to show me this morning? So when I go, I'll go with the right heart. I'll go with the right attitude. I'm not going to go in anger. I'm not going to go vengefully. I'm not going to go just to win a fight. No, no God, I'm going to go. But God, you have to help me go right because you revealed this thing to me in worship. You revealed this thing when I came to sacrifice. It's not something I was just making up. No, you showed me when I was in worship. That's the thing I got to get right. So as I go, Lord, you have to help me go with the right heart. You have to help me go with your priorities. Amen? And then he said, when your brother has an ought. And I've always wondered, King James, New King James says, when you have an ought against somebody... You have to resolve it. And I always wonder, well, what's an ought? So I looked up Old Testament. I looked up Bible scholars. And this is kind of a layered thought because people have different perspectives on what an ought is. But it really just breaks down to this. When you're in the presence of God and when you're in worship, there's times when he speaks to you about things you ought to have done. Things you have ought to done for a brother or the things you have ought to done in your, in your relationship with him. And this other thing about ought, sometimes it's things that I should not have done. I ought not have done. And so when there's an ought in the way, you know, some of us that are more prone to self-examination and guilt, I mean, you could go crazy with this. Oh, I ought to have done this. I ought to have done that. I ought to have done this. No, 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 no. This is in the context of worship when you're in the presence of God and you bring your offering and he starts showing you these things in our heart that... You've ought to get right, and you've ought to redo, or you ought to go and get another chance. And when, when he reveals those things, he said, those are the things you need to go and get right with your brother. Now, sometimes I could go through a whole list of things I ought to done this past week. I mean, even if I started this past week, there's phone calls I ought to return that I didn't get to. There's emails and texts that I ought to have followed up on. There's there's people that could use visitation. There's people that could use encouragement. I mean, there, there could be a whole list here. But in, this is in context of worship. When, when you come into his presence and he begins to show you some of the oughts, those are the things he wants us to focus on. Those are the things he wants us to have priorities over. Are you okay with that? And so in, in, here's the, the last point. When you go... He said, you, you, you go with the right heart. You go with what the word says here, hupago. It means when you go with the, this attitude of restoration, go and reconcile, be reconciled with your brother, that word there is hupago, and, it, and it's this, a sense of feeling the other's trauma. So when I go, I'm just not going like, man, I'm tired of thinking about this, and I'm tired of people telling me I ought to go make this right. It, it, it's not with that kind of mindset. He said, when you're in my presence, when you're in worship, and I show you these things, these oughts in your life. I want you to go. 
and I want you to be reconciled. And the word reconciled, again, there needs to be a connection, a sense of feeling of the other's trauma. I need to go in a spirit of understanding with it says, you know, I, I don't even know if I was cognizant of how that impacted you, but man, I, I was in worship and God started showing me these things, man. And I don't want there to be an ought between us. I don't want there to be a difference between us. I don't want there to be conflict between us. I, I, want, to, I want to get this right. And so tell me this, is this what it made you feel like? Is this what it caused in our relationship? And if I'm wrong, just let me know. But I'm sensing this before God. I, I, I want to get this thing right because it's important to me that we not live that way, that we don't live with just having this conflict between us. And then he says this, when you do that, then come back and make your offering. He didn't say just forget it. He said, no, you go make this right, Jesus said, and then come back. And I don't know about you, but when I've been in places where those issues have happened and I do it God's way and he spoke to me about it, and so I know it's him dealing with me. And then I've even prayed, God, you know, you bring me the opportunity there. This was a few months ago. I was at a conference at the Santa Maria Healing Rooms. And one of the ministers there was talking about forgiveness. And I was just taking inventory. Lord, is there, is there a difference or something that I need to deal with? And there, there was a gal there that was in our church years ago. And her and her husband were friends. And, and uh, we, her and her husband and me were friends. And and she was up there, and I just had felt there, there was something between us that we needed to get worked out. And so it just turns out that she was up front, and she walked around towards the back of the surface. It was just set up by God to be able to talk and to, uh, to work those things through. And then he said, when you do that, when you go with that sense, when you are reconciled, just come back and see, see what happens. See what God can do when things are healthy. See what God can do when there's connection. See what God can do when there's closure and not just this open wound that keeps going on. So j just see what can happen. One of the most powerful times I've shared with you over and over of just a, a touch of revival was when we were in Cambodia and we were instructing young people in worship. And we'd been doing that for several days. And that was that morning that was the last morning I was about to speak. And I got up to speak. Worship band's playing. And I felt like the Lord say, stop, stop. And so I, I stopped and his presence came in such a powerful way. And the amazing thing, these Cambodian young people were coming up and they were confessing things that they'd done to one another and even things that they had differences with their parents and where there was ought in their family. I mean, just a spontaneous kind of repentance thing that happened because God's presence was so sweet. And they, some of them, no paradigm for this. Some of them were weeping on the floor and crying and shaking. I mean, they, this is all brand new for them. This is just the Holy Spirit coming in his raw grace and, and touching with the depths of their lives. But it was so interesting for me. I, wasn't, I don't speak Khmer. And they're coming up to Pastor Moni and they're telling him, I need to get this thing right. I, I want to get thing, that thing right. But it acts says, repent that times of refreshing might come from the Lord. And after that, it went on for a while. Man, the atmosphere was just electric. The atmosphere was just on fire. And, and we celebrated. They're, they do this traditional Khmer dance. I don't know. I was doing that dance with them just because just the power of God and the refreshing of God was there in such a, an amazing way. And so when we live that way, when there's a freedom instead of that, that you know, relational bondage that we get in because this is broken and that's intense and this is intention, when we purpose to live that way, it brings God's life and God's freedom and God's peace. Amen? We all right? So here's the second part that Jesus talked. He said, 
Agree with your adversary quickly. So here, here he's going on about going to your brother, and if there's, if there's an ought, but, you know, go and make that right. And then it's almost like a different conversation. If you, you read it, you say, well, these are two disconnected thoughts, but they're really not when you look at it in, in the whole context here. He said, agree with your adversary quickly while you're on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and you be thrown in prison. Surely I say to you, by no means get out there till you have paid the last penny. Well, well this seems kind of harsh. And, you know, you, you think, is this Jesus talking that he's going to hold this over your head? If you don't get this right and make this right, man, this progression, I'm going to end up throwing you in jail. Or, or is, just, is this just a natural progression is when we are violating relational principles and committing relational sins, the bondage it starts putting us under. See, he said, agree with your adversary. Say that word with me quickly. Say quickly. Say quickly. Jesus is saying here, you know, guys, these these offenses that come, you got to deal with them quickly. Now, many of us, because we don't like conflict, and I'm one of the guys that doesn't like conflict, most of us, when we have conflict, we won't agree with it quickly. We'd rather call three of our friends about it than then go agree and, and, and trying to get it worked out quickly. But he said, agree with them quickly. Don't let it build up or take on momentum. Here's what Ephesians 4 says. Be angry at sin, at immorality, at injustice, or at ungodly behavior, yet don't sin. Don't, not, don't let your anger cause you shame, nor allow it to last until the sun go down, goes down. And do not give the devil an opportunity to lead you into sin by holding a grudge or nurturing anger, or harboring resentment, or cultivating bitterness. There's a progression there that Paul writes to the Ephesians. He said, if you hold on to this thing, it's going to go from a grudge to anger to resentment, and then it's going to result in bitterness. And if you go back how Jesus described it here, he says there's a progression that comes. First, it's your adversary, the, the, the guy, the gal you're having trouble with. But then, then it progresses. There, there's judgment that gets involved. There's judgment that means you start sealing each other's fate by saying, oh, I can never trust you again. I, I, every time I talk to you, you, you treat me this way. There's judgments that start being made. And if, and if you don't deal with it, that, that, then it becomes almost a legalistic thing that controls you and impacts you, and you end up imprisoned by it. And so there's a progression that comes from adversary to judge to officer to jailer. Jesus said, man, you, you got to deal with these things before it progresses to the point that it's got you rooted in bitterness and it's got you bound and all your freedom's gone and you're just obsessed with the, the, this conflict, this you know, adversarial relationship that started kind of small because you wouldn't look at it. Now, now look how far it's gone. Now you feel like you're imprisoned by it. The offense grows and becomes a prison. The word for offense in the, in the Greek in the New Testament, scandalon. And maybe you've heard this, but it's the trigger of a trap. When we were, when we were younger, do you ever try and trap an animal with a box? And you're trying to get the neighborhood cat, and you got the box and the stick and a string, and you put something under there, and you're hiding around the corner, and here, here comes the cat, and you're trying to trap the cat. No, nobody ever did that in here. That's just me and, and my twin brother. I'll blame in my twin brother. But uh, the other thing it was is a bait stick is, you know, they would talk about, uh, missionaries would talk in foreign fields, how, how you catch a monkey. And you could catch a monkey by drilling a hole in the cage and putting a banana in the cage or something they want in the cage and they put their hand through the hole and they take hold of it 
and they would be trying so hard to get it out, they, they just would not let go. They would just be fighting for it, fighting for it, fighting for it, and you could come and trap them because they wouldn't let go. So scandalons, this, this idea of a bait stick, it's something that they're, they're holding on to that they refuse to release, and it, it's what puts us in prison. When we get a hold of these things, we don't follow just God's principles for being able to release them, for being able to go quickly, for being able to make things right. We let it build up, and it, it can cause us some bad stuff because the result is when we do let it go, there's freedom. When we do live that way, even in a corporate atmosphere, when there's not aught between us, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's what? There's liberty. But where, first, where the Spirit of the Lord is working, there's reconciliation. And then when there's reconciliation, there's freedom in our worship. And, and I don't know about you. I mean, if we came in within our hearts with goals, we're going to make sure things are right. We're not going to let things fester as a church family. Where there's little differences, we're going to learn what, what's no big deal and just let it wash off our back. Or where there is a big deal, we're going we're gonna to learn how we're going to walk through these things and mature and talk through these things. And man, if a church lived that way, we wouldn't be talking about revival. We'd be living revival. We, we'd be experiencing revival. And how about you? Are you up for the challenge of, of just asking the Lord in the areas of our lives where, where there's ought, where there's differences, where there's things that we can go? And it takes a little guts to do that. And sometimes it takes some prayer to do that. It takes tools sometimes to do that. But if we learn to live that way, we, we could see in a culture that seems like it's so divided, in a culture that seems so angry, in a culture that's so argumentative, we could live as different people. We could live as the sons and daughters of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. They shall call, be called the sons, which is the mature sons and daughters of God. How many sign up for that and want, want that in your life? Amen? Amen? Well, let's look at one other principle that Jesus talks about here in conflict resolution. And it's a little farther in Matthew's gospel. And he tells us about the right way to deal with these things again. He says, if a man has 100 sheep and one of them wanders away, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others on the hills and go out to search for the lost one, the one that is lost? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he'll rejoice over it more than over the 99 that didn't wander away. In the same way, say in the same way, in the same way, it's not my... Heavenly Father's will that even one of these little ones should perish. And so when you think, what's this got to do with relationships? Well, I, th I think most believers in this community is full of them. A, a lot of them get lost because of broken relationships. A lot of them aren't in church because they're offended. They're not connected to the body because something happened to them. Some of them just give up. They get seduced away by just different arguments and just their, their minds and hearts get switched by pursuing other worldviews. Some of them get stuck in just sinful stuff that hardens their heart. But th there's a lot in this community. They've wandered away because something's broken a relationship. Something went wrong. They saw hypocrisy. Something went wrong because somebody they trusted and loved did something that, that, that just surprised them or upset them. And, and now they're not connected and Jesus said here, it's not my father's will that even one of these little ones should perish, that they should be separated where they're stuck. And so we've looked at that parable. You've probably read that a bunch of times. But you know, in context, when you read this parable, you know what's next? Resolving conflict. How you resolve conflict. So some of us could say this is standalone. This is evangelistic. This is going after the lost people in our community that don't know Jesus. But when you read it in context, which we're going to do next, it's all 
It's all about relationship and being able to work through things so nobody gets lost, nobody gets hurt, nobody gets broken, nobody gets disenfranchised, nobody gets stuck in the mud, but they're committed to working through things, and because of that, there's health and wholeness in the flock. So next verse, we, he jumps right from this thought about lost sheep, and he jumps into this verse. If another believer sins against you, so say believer, he's talking about family, He's talking about our family stuff. He's talking about the sheep in the pen. He's not just talking about the outsiders, but he's talking about us. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the fence. If the other person listens and confesses, you've won. Say won. That's a big word. You have won that person back. But if you're unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. <clears throat> if that person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church, and then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. So once again, we see progression. Once again, in this passage, we see it going from step one to step two, step three, and, 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 and it's a way, and it's huge. Jesus is teaching this. It's huge in his heart that we're reconciled. Just like in the other parable, we saw that it went from the adversary to the judge to the officer to prison. There was a progression. Here's there's a progression on how to solve it. This is a progression how you work through things. And when I see progression, I, I think of a couple things. When, when I see progression, if you can't fix it this way, try this way. And if that won't work, try this way. I see high priority in Jesus' heart saying, get it right and work on it. And here's different ways you can keep working on it to make sure that it's happening around you. Amen? So let's just look at a couple things here. Oh, let's finish this. This is, this is the powerful part. I tell you the truth. So we go from this thought on... on you know, this is how you get things right if there's sin. And sometimes we preach, and you'll just hear whole messages on this about conflict resolution. But in context, then you go from lost sheep, resolving conflict, and then you come about this powerful truth. I tell the truth, whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. I also tell you this, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three are gathered together as my followers, I'm there among you. And this is, this is red letter stuff. If you have a Bible that is highlighted in red, Jesus speaking, this is all red letter stuff we just looked at. Lost sheep, importance, Father doesn't want anybody lost. This is how you reconcile. This is how you get people to work together. This is how, if there's an offense, you can work through that. And then he comes into this powerful conclusion. And if you do it right, man, there's power that's going to be available. There's an anointing, an agreement that's going to be available. Let's just work through this a little bit. Number one, he said lostness is tied to offenses. And when you're offended and unreconciled, you can become a lost sheep. And you might not even recognize it. You might not even say to yourself, you're lost sheep, you just, you're right, and they messed up, they're wrong, and you can walk around in pride and stubbornness, but not really recognize, man, I've, I've distanced myself from the family of God. I've, I've disconnected, my, my heart's going another way, because, man, I, they should have never done that. They ought not have done that to me. They ought have done it this right way. They ought to have gone, instead of telling their friends, they ought to come directly to me, and those oughts are there. And, and, and because we let the oughts build up, we, we, we can find ourselves. You might never recognize it, but I'm really lost from the family of God. I'm not connected. 
I'm living hurt. I'm living wounded. And, and the life that should flow from the family. Like Lee and Charmaine, they've texted me a couple of times just saying, thank you, thank you, thank you for the family. The stuff they're going through right now is the biggest hurdles they've ever faced in their life. Leukemia came out of the blue, just, you know, right hook to the face for Lee, came back from Mexico, people saved and filled and healed, seeing miracles. A couple weeks later, you're at Stanford. I mean, just a full-on attack, frontal assault, fiery darts in a machine gun of the enemy towards them. And they're saying, I'm, I'm just thankful that we're connected to the family. I'm just thankful that there's prayers coming our way. We can feel the prayers. I'm thankful, I'm grateful that there's a supply of the Spirit coming from the other flock towards us. And God says, "I, I don't want you to be separated from the flock. I want you to be connected to the flock, to the family of God. And so sometimes our lostness just comes through a fence. Our hearts get hard and we begin to wander. It's not God's will that people stay offended. I, I want to read that. I should have put that like in 60 font point. It's not, it's not God's will that people stay offended, so fix it. So fix it. It's not his will that we just live broken. And we can, we can go weeks, months. It's not his will that we stay that way. We got to fix it. We got to work on fixing it. It's got to be priority to us. Red letter stuff, it's a priority to him. Amen? So we got to work on fixing it. The next thing, Jesus said, go to them privately. Don't put it on Facebook. And, and, and I find this, like people going after each other through their status on Facebook or things, things they, they say, we say to each other. Jesus said, if there's an offense, this is the first thing you do. You go privately. And some of us with our good hearts, we want to go, but first we want advice. So we want to talk to a lot of people about what they did and what happened to me. And, and, and so we can build our case. And so, you know, I, I appreciate wise counsel. Scripture talks about wise counsel, but sometimes how we do it, the offense started small, but because we're talking about it or giving life to it or giving voice to it, it begins to grow. And, and instead of going with that humility of how did I offend you and how can we work this out, we, we're, we're building a case, we're building a cause, we got our friends involved now, and now we have an us against them thing going on. And... Uh, I got pulled in last week, another situation, another church with a pastor friend and an offended elder in their church, and I see how this thing's starting to develop and how it could have changed from the very beginning if, if we would have just went privately and worked on it privately instead of letting things fester. And so priority to Jesus, he said, go to them privately first. Don't, don't, don't broadcast this thing, no, no go, and it's tough to do. It's very tough to do. I'm preaching it. I'm trying to live it. But even for me, sometimes when stuff comes, you want to talk to a few people to see if you're seeing it right. But if you do that with the wrong heart, it, it can build an us-against-them deal, and that's not a win. See, he said if you do it right, you win your brother back. There, there's a way to win the other person back, to win him back into fellowship, to win him back into community, to win him back into right relationship. When we're doing it right. Man, it's awful quiet in here. Are you doing okay? Or are, you, are you on Facebook right now? Are you, are, are, are you with me? Go to them privately. And the goal is to win them back, not just to win the fight. Not just to win the fight. And if it's about winning the fight, proving I'm right. We'll resolve this thing as soon as you agree that I'm doing it right and you're seeing it wrong. That, that, that's not the heart of reconciliation. I, I want to win you back. You're valuable to me. You're valuable to the kingdom. You're valuable to the body. Your gift's important here. I don't want this thing to fester. 
I, I, I want to win you back. And I've seen people get stuck because they said, I'll, I'll reconcile, but first they got to come and apologize to me. And certainly there's certain offenses that apologies are due, and apologies should be necessary in reconciling. But I, I read the heart between these things, in these things, and the heart is you go, and you try and work it out, and you do your best to make it right. And just trust me, the Lord's saying, I showed this to you in worship. I showed this to you when you came to offer when you came with an offering, this is when I revealed this to you. So I'm going to be with you as you go, and we're going to try and win that person back. We're going to try and win that relationship back. Amen? Amen. Lostness is tied to offenses. The goal is to see them privately, and if it doesn't go well in round one, bring level-headed back up. And so this idea, he said, if you go privately and, and, it, and it doesn't work out, then, then bring somebody else with you. Bring level-headed support. Bring a friendship that has other counsel and go to them together. But I think you, you owe it to, I owe it to people trying to deal with them directly first before I get a bunch of people involved. We found that even in marriage around here sometimes when couples are having trouble and, 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 and they're not together and then people start talking like the guy says, well, I don't want to go back there. I feel like everybody's judging me. I don't want to go back there. I feel like everybody's you know, heard all the negative. And, and if, if we do these things right, we can keep the body healthier and we can keep the fellowship here. We can keep the presence of God in a powerful way. I believe we can have revival if we do some of these things right. Amen? Amen. Last but not least, the consequences, they're powerful. When Jesus said at the end, whatever you agree on earth touching anything, I, I, I'll do it for you. If two or three are gathered in my name and, and you agree and I'll give you power to bind and power to loose. The consequences of this unity thing's huge. When we're united, man, we, I mean, I, we've been in this place, First Friday prayer, different times when the presence of God is so strong and we're, we're together. I'm just trying to think right now of the recent thing we just agreed for and prayed for in agreement Come back, thought, and you're 61. You're just going to, it's out there. The thought's out there. Come back. And anyway, I just know recently, we're just talking about the power of agreement and how things happen when we pray. Santa Maria is a good example. The building we just got into, power of agreement when we pray down there for the new church. These things are important. Jesus said, you reconcile this stuff, and you learn to work through these things, and then when you come together, my power is going to be in the midst of you. When the power and the family's in agreement, when husbands and wives are praying, when families get together and pray in unity, man, amazing things could happen. And so God knows that. He tells us that. But do you think the enemy knows that too? Do you think the enemy tries to keep us divided? The enemy tries to keep us in conflict? The enemy tries to keep us in harshness? And if you and me are just paying attention to the news, we can see what the enemy is trying to do in the church and amongst racial divides and uh, it's pretty horrific stuff. So this is my last week in the series. And so this is today was the need to's. And I, I usually don't like talking about the need to's unless we have some how to's. But we won't be able to even touch that this morning. Ken Sandy wrote a book called Peacemaker. Some of the pastors in our community, we hosted him via a Skype uh, a couple years ago just to help us talk through some of the things about peacemaking. Great, great materials online. I also just gave you just a highlight sheet for those that want it, just some ideas and some discussion starters and really just some training, some tools on how to bring peace into 
conflictual situations, uh, a warning when you're hitting the slippery slope and how, how attention needs to be given to some things. So out on the life table, some of these are out there. This book is a great, great read. It's a few years old now, and, and he's written supplemental material. But it, it's, again, encouraging us to be peacemakers in, in a pretty broken world. Amen? All right. Well, I, I ran across this, speaking of peacemaking, I, I ran across this story, and um, especially what's been going on recently in Charlotte and other places, I, I just thought this was a great story of huge conflict, people coming from two different extremes and how they work through their differences for just a, a, a glorious ending. And this was on NPR and All Things Considered, and it was really a, a memorial it was a tribute to somebody who had just died. Well, it was more of a story about them just dying, except being a tribute. But this is just in context of what's happening in the news. Let me just share some of this with you. Uh, civil rights activist and former Ku Klux Klansman C.P.A. Ellis has died at age 78. So this is a, news, uh, a radio news program being just announced by this gal. She says... Ann Atwater, a black civil rights activist, talks about her friend at the memorial. Ellis had a change of heart after a 10-day forum on integration of schools in Durham, North Carolina. He renounced his Klan membership and became lifelong friends with Atwater and went on to organize black and white labor unions. So Michelle Norris, she's the host, and she's talking to, to these uh, these gals, Melissa Block, she's the one interviewing, and this is how it goes. Hi, I'm Melissa Block. C.P. Ellis was a former Grand Exalted Cyclops of the Ku Klux Klan in Durham. I didn't know they were called Cyclops. Anyway, I would just run if you heard. You're going to be the next Cyclops. I, that's just freaky to me. But in the early 1970s, he had a remarkable change of heart and mind and became a civil rights advocate. C.P. Ellis died last week in Durham at the age of 78. His turnaround came through a 10-day community meeting on school desegregation in 1971. He was chosen to chair the meetings along with his polar opposite, a militant African-American leader of Durham's civil rights movement, Ann Atwater. In their interview in 1996, C.B. Ellis describes the hatred he felt towards blacks going in. Mr. Ellis, I wanted to make them, they asked him about that. What, what do you think? What's your attitude about? He said, I wanted to make them angry. I didn't like them. I didn't like integration. I didn't like the demonstrations downtown. I didn't like Ann boycotting stores. And she was an effective boycotter too. She was making progress and I hated her guts. Well, then they go on. Ann Atwater joins us from her home in Durham to share her memories. Mrs. Atwater well, she says, Mr. Ellis there saying he hated your guts going into these meetings. What do you say about this? Well, yes, he did, and I hated him just as hard as he hated me. And we showed that towards each other up until we went into that 10-day meeting. Block says, why would C.P. Ellis have agreed to take part in these meetings, which were all about improving race relations and figuring out a way to integrate schools? Mrs. Atwater, she says, well, some of the people in City Hall was Klansmen as well. And they had put him out there so he could disrupt everything that everybody was trying to do. He was to tear it apart. But to see, as I tell everybody, God had a hand on that because in the meetings, CP, he, he had a machine gun and he would show it to the city councilman in the trunk of his car every morning. And when I'd walk up to the school, I had my white Bible in my hand. So I told CP, we would see whose God would be strongest, my God or his God. And I always said if they said something to me, I was going to knock the hell out of them with my Bible. 
And so Block says this. Well, what happened in the course of the meeting over 10 days? What, what turned things around? Mrs. Atwater, she said, well, in the first five days of the meeting, we had a choir come in, a gospel choir, a church choir to come in and do some singing. And CP, he was sitting there, and at first he started clapping his hands, and he wasn't as clapping his hands along with us. He would clap out an odd beat. So I grabbed his hand, and I tried to show him how to clap along with us at the same time. We learned him to how to clap. And then, starting the next week, we talked to the youth, and we found out that the children was the one suffering. Me and him was over there, mad with each other, but wasn't getting anything done with what the children wanted. And me and him cried at that time, and we began to melt down towards one another. Block, you know, it seems like such an unlikely transformation. He goes from being a leader of the KKK to being a union organizer for blacks and whites, a civil rights advocate. Do you look back, and does it make sense to you? Mrs. Atwater, no, it don't when you look back at it, but then if I look back at through my Bible, through God's word, God had a plan for both of us, and that plan was to put us there to make sure that this school integration would be done peacefully, and that's what happened. It's just a strange thing, but it really happened, and the funny part about it, we stayed friends all these years. Block says, you did? Mrs. Atwater, yeah. He stayed in touch with me, and I called him. If I told him I needed some money, he told me he needed something, and we looked after each other, and we saw that each other. You know, we, we was making it. Oh, Block says, well, Anwater, thanks very much for talking with us. Mrs. Elwater, we, we thank you for talking to me. And so she was there, and, and she helped lead his memorial service because God brought a reconciliation. If he can do it then, back... A few years, can he not do it now when we just have hearts towards each other, when we're, when we're open to reconciliation, when we're open to, to just, you know, be moved upon, when we got aughts or issues with one another, if we, we'd be open to God moving, he could bring healing now like he's brought back then. Amen? Stand with me and let's close in prayer. And I don't advocate beating the hell out of anybody with the Bible. Well, I don't know. Maybe once in a while, I don't know. God, there's so much on relationships written and so much you've said, so much in your word about it. I know the fruit of your spirit, when you said the Holy Spirit begins to work in our lives, it's all about relationship stuff. It's about joy and peace and kindness and goodness and gentleness. It's, it's terms about how we relate to one another. We saw in the commandments, out of the ten, six of them were four about relating to you and six about how we get along with each other, how we're supposed to treat each other. We've looked at principles these last six weeks, God, about getting things right and about honoring each other and seeing things from other people's perspectives and little tools we can use in our conversations towards one another. And uh, Lord, Lord, I pray it would just take root. I pray... Like everything in your word comes as a seed and it gets planted, it gets watered, and we give attention to it and it begins to produce, begins to change our lives. And especially relational stuff, it changes families. And, and families change communities and change churches. And so, God, as I've been studying this out, I, I just see it's high priority, it's big stuff. Red letter stuff, bold stuff in your word about relational things and, 
I pray, God, as agape family, that we would work on these things. I pray we'd be able to demonstrate and show love one towards another, that our relational ministry would increase, our ability to hear and ability to perceive and walk in other people's footsteps. We, we, we would work on that stuff, God, because I believe it's big to you. And we see a world so broken and so divided and hatred just all over the media. Uh, I think you're calling out. No, I don't even think you're calling out. I think you're crying out. I think you're crying out for your church to take heed. For your church to open our hearts towards one another towards open our hearts towards lost sheep stuck in the mud. You're crying out, Lord, for us to make a difference. And, and I pray, Lord, in our endeavors, in our connections, give us understanding how to be reconcilers and peacemakers. The temptation, even as I've been studying, I'm, I'm reading it for other people. And sometimes instead of for me, I'm preaching it, and some of us maybe even hearing it for other people, but maybe not hearing it for ourselves. And so, thank you, God, for just speaking to us personally. Thank you for caring about our relationships. Thank you, Father, for even going before us. Some you've even spoken to. So we're talking today about the ought and the person, the assignment you've given them. I know there's some in here that already know who they need to go talk to. And uh, I pray you give them the guts to do it and the grace to do it and the attitude to do it and the right heart to do it. And sometimes that goes amazingly well, and we've all been them. Sometimes it doesn't. But God, I pray you go before them and you just let them know that they're just doing their part. The response, sometimes we don't have control over, but I'm asking God, the assignments you've given our church family to reconcile with, that you would go before them, that you'd be preparing hearts, you'd be softening hearts, and that things can turn around. And I want revival in here, God. I, I, I pray there'd be an atmosphere as we learn to let things go that would just so explode with your life, God, your love, your power, with heaven, Heaven would come. We thank you for that, God. Allow that to happen in this place as we purpose to be those people. We give you praise for that. In Jesus' name.